So this is the season of Advent. Christmas is coming. You aware of that? Are you prepared for that? No? No? Okay, who here? Just, uh, I'm going to be wandering around a little bit in the back, media team, gentlemen. Um, who here, uh, you've got most of your Christmas decorations up at home? Most of them? Most of them? So, I didn't see all the hands. Some of you still have some work to do. Some, 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 of, some of you are going to be sent up on, uh, on ladders to put up Christmas lights sometime soon, yeah? Okay. Now, um, I realize not every family puts up a Christmas tree, and, and um, some people, you can remind me that Christmas trees don't necessarily have a Christian origin, but we've, I like to think that we've redeemed Christmas trees a little bit, kind of like Chick-fil-A has redeemed chicken, you know, kind of Christianized it, <laughs> made it a little bit better in the process. Something like that. Anyways, so I have this theory that there are, basically there are two types of Christmas trees. We're going to see who's on what team here today. For those of you that have Christmas trees, and if you don't and you choose not to vote, that's okay. Some of you are, are elegant people who put up elegant, nice-looking trees. That's category number one. You're an interior decorator. You make a nice-looking tree. Some of us very deliberately put up, put, we put up, I'm going to, I'm going to, my wife might not like this, I refer to it, I, I'm going to refer to it as ugly trees, okay? We, we put up trees that every, they tell stories. It's, it's like, so if, you, so can you put up a picture of our Christmas tree? So this is our Christmas tree in, in our house, uh, we put up this actually just a couple days ago, and uh, nearly every uh, ornament on the tree tells a story. So you get everything from down, well, you can't really, but so like, like baby pictures to, there's a, I don't even know why there's so many gnomes on our tree, <laughs> but, but there are a lot, and apparently now there's, a, there's like a herd of them. Anyways, the point is, every, every ornament on the tree tells a story. It comes from somewhere. I still remember with great fondness when um, it would take us like at least a week to put up a Christmas tree because our, our daughter, Lauren, who's just beautiful imagination, she would have to play with every ornament. There's a, there was a story. So, it, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what the character was, what the ornament was, something was going to happen with that ornament um, before it went on the tree. Um, so, so, that's, so if we got two categories, some of you are elegant trees, some of you are ugly tree people. Let, let's, let's see where we land today, okay? How about elegant trees? You, some, okay, elegant trees. No shame in having elegant trees. You are neat and tidy people. Thank you. How, how, any proud, ugly tree folks? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm biased. I admit I'm biased. I don't want to yuck your yum. Okay, because if you if you like if you like your pretty trees, I respect your pretty trees. Okay, I respect your pretty trees, but I, I love it that when that so many of our Christmas decorations, so many of our Christmas preparations, they're telling a story. I love that. Um, however, you choose to do it in your house. Well, well, today we are in the season of Advent, and we we are finding ourselves in this in this story where. We're remembering how, how the world has been and continues to ache for a Savior and how that promised Savior will come. And so we're going to pick things up actually in Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at the first eight verses of, of the book of Mark. Last week we were in Matthew. This week we're in Mark. Next week we're going to be back in Matthew again and look at some of the Joseph story. And then we'll, then we'll spend some time in Luke and look at the Mary story. But... 
Um, so as Mark tells the story of Jesus' arrival, um, he, he, he kind of shows the role of John the Baptist, and he takes us through this really powerful metaphor that we're going to find in the book of Isaiah. I just want to spend a, a little bit of time with that. So Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, invite you to have your paper Bibles open or your glow-in-the-dark digital Bibles or however you do it. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's also also found in Malachi chapter 3. Then we get to Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him, or some translations, level paths for him. We'll come back to that in a minute. And so John the Baptist appeared, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey combination of both yuck and yum. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the, what's the last phrase? With the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's spend a little bit of time with this first metaphor, this, this, this metaphor that shows up in, in Isaiah chapter 40. Okay. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, in the ancient world, when a, when a Middle Eastern king would prepare to visit a city, would prepare to visit a town, he would... He, um, well, if it's a king, it's a he, uh, send out servants in advance who would quite literally fix up all the roads. So, so the roads, that you know, you, you'd remove the rocks from the road, you would fill in the holes from the road, and if there wasn't a road, you'd make a road because, of course, the king is going to come in and, and kings like to travel in, you know, the Rolls-Royce equivalent of their time, these big fancy chariots and, and big fancy you know, carriages, and they're going to, you want the roads to be nice. And to a certain degree, we still do the same kind of thing. When we have a major event in a, in a city, if, you, if your city's hosting the Super Bowl, you're going to put a lot of money into infrastructure. If your city's preparing to host the Olympics, you're going to build stadiums, you're going to expand your highways, you're going to do all sorts of things because something really important is about to happen. So, so, so Isaiah in, as, as God is inspiring Isaiah's prophecy, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths. Make level paths for him. Like, make all the same kind of preparations for this Messiah that you would make for a coming king. So, as Mark uh, is is recalling the importance of the arrival of Jesus, he, he brings up that, that prophecy from Isaiah. We need to prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way, make straight paths for him, level, level the roads, open up the, uh, make, the, make the transition 
smooth. Not so much because you couldn't come if, if those things aren't done, but because who's coming is just so important, we want to be ready. Just like in the season of Christmas, we prepare for Christmas. It sort of feels funny if you have Christmas, but you haven't done anything about it. It's still Christmas. But for most of us, it means so much to us that we've got all these preparations. We've got oftentimes years or decades of stories that come out of the, you know, the boxes in the basement, come out of the attic. You unpack everything. You put everything out. And in our house, we often put some of the same things in the same places. It's like we come right back and we, we're, we're telling the story of Christmas's past, even as we're anticipating Christmas present. We prepare the way. Now, in, in uh, the book of Mark, as, as, and he talks about how John the Baptist comes. Oh, there we go. How do we prepare? So prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of, you got your Bibles open, of repentance. Repentance. That's how we prepare. We prepare by repenting. We prepare by repenting. Now, the word repentance uh, gets easily misunderstood because oftentimes repentance is, you know, I mean, we, 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 we sort of stereotypically hear it like this, repent, repent, repent. You know, in other words, knock it off. God says, knock it off. And to a certain degree, that is true. Knock it off. But at the core, repentance is, is, is a word of turning over a new leaf. In other words, change. Change what you're doing. Get rid of the bad stuff that you were doing and replace it with good stuff. Repentance, if you're thinking of, if you're taking it back to this, prepare the way for the Lord metaphor. Repentance is the idea of we're going to remove the rocks and we're going to fill the holes. Clear the rocks, fill the holes. Clear the rocks, fill the holes. Because, of course, every time you, you clear a rock, it makes a hole, right? So I wanted us to spend just a little bit of time today just thinking about what does it mean to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus? So not only for the coming of Jesus as a baby in the manger that we remember at Christmas, as God incarnate, God made flesh, the word made flesh, but what it means for us as we anticipate that this same Jesus will one day return as a coming king. Clear the rocks, fill the holes. Now, uh, in, in the Christian tradition, one of the, one of the words that that's used to describe different types of sin, because the thing is, we all sin. We're all sinners. We all, we're all broken, so we all have these proclivities to do things that we shouldn't do. We tend to choose our own way. We tend to do selfish things instead of um, not selfish things. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's even a category of sin called the besetting sins, this idea that there are sins that we find ourselves just going back to again and again and again. They're hard to get rid of. They're, they're like, you know, like some rocks are small. Can you, can you see me down here? Some rocks are small. Some rocks are bigger. And it takes a little bit more work to uh, remove the rocks. 
Maybe you've had experiences in your life where there are just bad habits. There are, whether that's a physical habit like an addictive behavior, or maybe that's more of an emotional habit like bitterness or pride. And they are, they're heavy, man. They're just hard to get rid of. And even if you were to lift them out of the way for a while, there's still a hole that they leave. Like, you know, you think of those who have struggled with the, the besetting sin of lust, where we objectify people or maybe a porn addiction or things like that. We've, I mean, people do those things because they've got, there's a hole in their soul. There, there's, there's a need that it seems like that sin can help to fill. And so this message, prepare the way of clear the rocks, fill the holes, reminds us it's not only about stopping the bad thing, but replace it with something that's better. Because you know, every sin in our life, everything that we do that God tells us to not do, he, he does it. He tells us those things out of love. It's not out of condemnation. It's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us. He, he, so he, he tells us to, to rid our lives of, for example, lust, because what he, what he desires for us is intimacy. And intimacy is uh, our intimacy is is has boundaries to it, where we respect one another, we don't objectify one another, where we we trust God's plan rather than our own, or to rid our lives of bitterness, to remove bitterness requires forgiveness. Man, sometimes that is hard. It's difficult. So the scriptures give us all this instruction about what it means to forgive. It's not just that God wants to remove the bitterness, but he wants to replace it with something better. Clear the rocks, fill the holes. Or some of the massive rocks like pride, super hard. You know, this, all these things in our life that we just, like we just, we, we long for a sense of control. In a world that sometimes feels so out of control. And so at least one of the ways that when, when, a, when a pride rock is removed from our life, that, that, to, that God can replace it with trust. I don't need to be in control because I can trust that God really does have my best interest at heart. And man, is it hard. Super, super hard. And that's why the thing that, um, that, that John the Baptist says is so, is so insightful. So at the end of this passage in verse 8, uh, he says, Well, see, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, the Messiah, the, the king who will come, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, as we are making self-improvement in our life, which is a good thing, God calls us to to continuous self-improvement. That's what it means to repent, is turn, get rid of the bad stuff, replace it with good stuff, get rid of the bad stuff. And he's always going to be revealing things to repent of and to to give over to him. It's not just about our own self-effort. And I think that's what John the Baptist is, on, on some level, is hinting about here. Like, baptism with by water, is the, this is the external changes that we can make with our life. And those things are good. You know, it's okay to have, you know, to put the, whatever, the, 
internet guard up or the internet filter on or whatever you need or the little reminders or the calendar markings or the, the accountability partners or the groups or the therapists or the, I mean, the, the Christian friendships that help us to be strong as, as we battle against the, the sin in our lives. But it's not just about our external efforts. It's not just I baptize you with water, like here's something that you can do, but, I, but that he will baptize you with the what? The, Holy the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we give our lives to Jesus, something comes inside of us that fundamentally changes who we are, how we feel, what we think. We find ourselves having this power in our life that we just do not have on our own. Amen? God calls us to a life of self-improvement. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. But it's not by our power. It's by his power at work in us. It's self-improvement, but it's working with God. God inside of us. God by the Holy Spirit. It's about trusting and yielding. Now, this, isn't, this is not full-on passivity. That doesn't mean that we just, I'm going to just sit back on the couch and wait for God to do everything for me. But it's to trust that as we, as we battle against the flesh, as we look to make the adjustments that God calls us to make in our life, that we do that with him. That God's on your side. As he calls us to rid our lives of things, it's because he wants to fill our lives with even better things. And this Advent season, as we prepare for Christmas, it's good for us to be thinking about, you know, what are the ways that we're preparing the way for the Lord? What are the rocks that God's removing in your life? What are the holes he's trying to fill in your life? How is he bringing change into your life? Repentance is change, hard to change. And it's not just about Jesus at Christmas. We are looking forward. We are looking forward to his certain return. That one day, one day, all things will be made new. Everything. So even as we, as we enter into Christmas, into in, you know, Christmas season, the room is beautiful. And just, by the way, thanks, decorating team. Oh, my goodness, you did an incredible job this week. Um, I wanted to spend a few moments just hearing some of Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. So the first, in most case, first five verses of both chapters. This little snapshot of the future. Like, to set our hearts, remind our hearts what God is ultimately up to. Because, you know, the same, the same God who fulfilled all those prophecies, the ones that we, we hear as we light the Advent candles and so many more, the same God that fulfilled his promises to come as the Messiah, God incarnate, this baby that was born in a manger, 
who would grow up in Nazareth and Galilee, this baby who would teach, who would, who would heal, who would cast out demons, this same baby who would become a man, a man who would give his life on the cross, and a man who would, three days later, rise again from the dead. That this same Jesus is coming back coming back, and he's going to make all things new. And it looks a little bit like this. And so as we read these passages, we, I mean, if you're, if you're a visual learner, um, follow along in your Bibles or follow along on the big screen behind me. If you're an auditory learner, I just even invite you, if that's your style, to just shut your eyes and just let these words wash over you. Let the imagination of, of what that world will look like start to fill your mind. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, followed by Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the, lamp of, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, the same God that fulfilled his promises in sending Jesus as a baby in the manger is the same God who will come and fulfill his promises to make all things new. So get your hopes up. This is the world that is coming. We are called as Christians to anticipate it, to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare our hearts in in preparation for what God is going to be doing in the entire world. You know, um, so my wife, Anita, is a a labor and delivery nurse. And um, when, um, well, I've witnessed two births. And um, 
the little girls that came out of those births were our pretty amazing people. I'm awfully proud of them. We, we, we get very excited about births, and birth and the process of birthing can be very dramatic. So I've seen, and even more, so I've heard. But it's actually not the point. The, 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 the best part of, well, I mean, birth is amazing, and it's an incredible miracle, and, and, it's in, and at times, it's a scary process. And parenting is even better. And the older they get, the more I enjoy them. You know, as Christians, when we think about the return of Jesus, and this is totally understandable, we get very excited about the birth process. Because the birth process and the prophecies about the birth process, honestly, they're pretty dramatic. And there's some parts of it that are kind of scary, and there's a lot of pieces that for us feel very unknown, which is why we write lots and lots of books about this stuff. And lots of well-intentioned people search the scriptures, and they try to line up different things so that we can explain all of what that's going to be like. And that is valid, and it's good, and it's understandable. It's the same reason if you've ever been a parent, you probably went to some sort of like a, like a pre-birth preparation class or something, or you read a book, or what to expect, or you watched a video, or whatever it was, because you're like, this is a big thing coming, and I want to be as ready for it as I can, and it may or may not go as you planned, um, but it's, here it comes, and it's not actually the point. There will be a day where the world will experience a new birth. And the world and the age that we're in now will come to an end and God will make all things new. And it's great to get excited about the birth process, ask all your questions, read the books, watch the video, whatever you need to do, but it's actually not the point. Is after that, what the Bible literally describes is the birthing period. There will be an entirely new world where all things are made new. And as Christians, we are called to put our hope in that new world, to prepare for it. As thinking about this, um, now when, when we first moved to Anachi about 20 years ago, uh, we moved, well, when we bought our house, and I'm so glad that we could buy a house. <laughs> it's, a, it's harder now than ever. When we bought our house, it, we, we, it was, we just saw the framing for it. Like, um, when we, the first time we walked through our house, it was, it was plywood on the, on the ground, and there was, there was, remember that, honey? And, and, everything, and there was framing around it, and there was the plumbing, and we saw that the, you know, the, look, there was a nice bathtub in the bathroom. You're like, this sounds great. Um, and, but the, I mean, the, the front lawn was dirt, the back lawn was dirt, all the, all the, the houses around, were, it was in the same kind of state. Some of them were half built, there was just sticks and dirt, and it was, and it was honestly kind of ugly. And you know what? We still invested in the largest purchase of our lives to have a chance to be a part of that community and to buy that house, even though it, was just, it just looked like sticks. And I'm so glad 
We did. And, you know, in the time, it didn't even seem nuts. You know, why, why, are, you, why, are, you, why are you investing money in, in just a, a big pile of sticks and a big pile of dirt? It's because when you, when you, you know that, that, you know, when you, when you put seeds on dirt, they're going to grow. And you know that the construction process that's begun is going to be completed. We put our faith in a developer. We put our faith in basic landscaping. And it didn't even seem like a big deal at the time, even though it was the single largest purchase we'd ever made in our lives. We know what it means to have faith in the future. And we stood on, those, on, that, on the, the plywood and, the, and this framed-up house, and we thought, this is beautiful, even though it wasn't. <laughs> And as it turns out, it ended up being an incredible place to raise a family. I'm so glad we invested in the dirt and the plywood and the sticks before it had ever turned into a home. That's what we're called to be as Christians, as we think of the new heaven and the new earth. Because I'm going to tell you, eyes up, let me see your eyes. God is more faithful than any developer. All right? You can trust in God's word more than you can trust in any bank. We don't seem to have much trouble trusting in banks and developers, and I'm glad we do. I'm really glad we did. But God is even more trustworthy. And he tells us that one day, the world as we know it will not be the same way. That he will make all things new, that one day, sickness and death sin will be eradicated. And that aching, that brokenness, that things don't work the way they're supposed to work, feeling that we have here, it will not be forever. He's making all things new. Do you believe that? He's making all things new. And so, We are called to set our hope. It's not a foolish hope. It's not just just well wishes. We are called to set our hope in a God who always keeps his promises. He promised that the Messiah would come and the Messiah came. He promises that the Messiah will return and the Messiah will return. And he will make all things new. We live in that world. Some of you have already, you, 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 you grew up in a development. Some of, you, some of you right now are living in a house, maybe a little bit like this one up on the, on, do we put that up on the screen? Maybe a little bit like this, where you know, here's a home, but there's no other built out homes around it. That's a good illustration of what it means to be a Christian who is trusting in the new heaven and the new earth. We build homes. We invest ourselves in something that we cannot yet see. But we know it's coming. And so we can live differently with a greater sense of peace, greater sense of trust, a greater capacity to forgive, a greater capacity to give. We can live differently 
because we know that something new is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Level the, level the ground. Do the work. Remove the rocks. But know that as you're removing rocks and filling holes, you never, ever, ever do it alone. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. Lives inside me. We ask Christ into our life. That's, who, that's, how the, that's what it means. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. There is power inside you. That is beyond you. And we get to help one another out. What are you looking forward to as you think about the new heaven and the new earth? What's something that's, that, 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 you, that you're anticipating? No pain. What else? Seeing God. Like face to face, the whole thing. What else? No more crying because there's an awful lot of crying on this side, isn't there? What else? Family members, exactly. That's right, Brian, what are you looking forward to? Your head, that's good. It's okay to be happy. And it's okay and it's good to enjoy the good things that are here. There's some beautiful things on this side here. What else? What, what are you looking forward to? No doctors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what, Bob? There'll be no lawyers either. <laughs> I know. No politicians. <laughs> There'll still be musicians, so yay! <laughs> okay, all right. And artists and builders. But yeah, some people will need, will need new training, retraining. But doctors and lawyers, they're, they're smart people. They'll, they'll do fine. They'll adapt. <laughs> they'll adapt. But set your hope, set your hope, set your hope, set your hope, set your hope. A new world is coming. We may not know when, but we do know who. And the same Jesus who died on the cross for you, who set you free from, the, from the, the consequences of sin, who welcomes you into his family, will one day return to welcome all who will receive him into an entirely new world. So Lord, prepare me. Lord, prepare us.